In the ring with Eusebius Makaiser. Eusebius Makaiser. Okay, so I'm sitting in the dark because of ESCOM here in my flat, and I guess it's an opportunity to speak to you. I have been reading the papers that had been filed in the case that played out today in the Supreme Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein involving AfriForum on the one side who want to cling on to an entitlement as they see it in the name of free speech to be able to wave the South African flag whenever they want to or whenever anyone wants to for that matter. And on the other side, you've got the South African Human Rights Commission disagreeing with them and also the Nelson Mandela Foundation. And the question is, who's right and who's wrong? There are legal issues, political issues and moral issues here. Some for me are crystal clear and then there are one or two fuzzy areas. And I hope that I might be helpful in framing some of the issues for you and giving you my point of view. Use it, don't use it, debate it, and tell me what you think on social media. So I want to start by setting aside the legal issues, because I actually think the socio-political elements of this discussion are far more important. I have over the years engaged people like Aaron's Roots, Kali Creel, been on platforms debating these issues, where I've been either a fellow interviewee, alternatively, as a presenter myself, I have on occasion also interviewed them. And quite frankly, I'm bored with engaging them on these issues. And one way in which I could have done this podcast episode is by inviting them onto this platform and engaging them. But I, I know we're just going to rehearse the various arguments. So I thought what might be more useful is for me genuinely to go back to my old views and see whether I need to change them. So I googled, self-indulgently, what I'd written before, and I found a piece going back at least four or five years ago when I was writing regularly for the Mail and Guardian in which I puzzled through this matter. I also read the legal arguments of both sides very closely to try and understand whether there are flaws, whether there are light bulb moments for me that either give me new reasons for the same position that I've always held or are reason for me to reconsider elements of my position. So where am I at? It's very clear to me and the first question that I would ask AfriForum if I had to interview them, which I'm not in the mood to do right now. Why the hell do you want to be able to wave the flag gratuitously? Like, just why? I'm not asking you that question legally. It is a question from one South African to another South African at the level of interpersonal dialogue in the context of the history of the symbol of ultimate hatred against black dignity. Or hatred and an assault on black dignity, I should say. Why? And as I'm watching the arguments played in Bloemfontein, I keep having flashbacks to one of my favorite scenes of a town hall type setup, but I think it was a university context actually, 
where Ta-Nehisi Coates, American writer, was one of my faves as a contemporary race commentator, is asked by a black person in the audience, like, please help me out and give me language and an argument, Ta-Nehisi, what I can say to my white friends when they sing along to the N-word in hip-hop and in popular music. And, like, I don't know if any of us are sh- any of us should sing those words. And basically she says, I don't know if any of us should be allowed to sing it, but I'm damn clear that white people shouldn't sing along. It's a separate question. What happens when black people are bobbing their heads up and down to such lyrics? But how do I translate that into a well-articulated position? And he says many things, and you can go and find it on on YouTube. But I don't want to submit everything that he says or rehearse everything that Tanahasi Code says. But one of the things he says in a jocular moment, but it's actually quite a serious moment, he says, you know, if you're a white person, like, I want to ask you, like, just why do you want to use the N-word? What's going to happen if you just don't have it as part of your vocabulary? And I want to ask that question of every single person who feels that they need to be part of lawfare to protect an imagined right to hoist a symbol of hatred and an assault on black dignity. Why do you want to be able to do that? Forget about the law. Let's say for argument's sake, because we'll talk law later, let's say the law is on your side. Why the hell do you want such a right? Like, why is the gold standard of free expression for you, in your mind, something so sacrosanct? That you want to spend legal resources, time, emotional energy to fight for it when you gain what? And I want you to sit with that question. What are you gaining? You're gaining at most a legal entitlement to re-inscribe memory of anti-black racism into the public space or even privately. And why on earth you want to do it privately anyway? as some sort of nostalgic yearning for 1652 and 1948, God help us, because then you're clearly not interested in constructing a South Africa where everyone is equal and has inherent self-worth affirmed. And so for me, we have to start this debate by locating it outside of the law, because the law is not the right domain for the really deep, sensitive, crucial political and moral questions we've got to ask of each other. Why the fuck do you want to be able to piss off black people by reminding them of centuries of colonialism and, more recently, apartheid? Why do you want that? What is the bona fide motivation and desire for wanting to have such a right, even if you could win the constitutional arguments, let's say? And that for me is what bothers me the most, because I think that anyone who wakes up in the morning excited about traveling to Bloemfontein to go and argue for the entitlement to be able to gratuitously display the apartheid flag is defining themselves outside of any South African project that is aimed at reconciliation and some attempt to deal with the deep racial and racist fissures of this country. And for me, that's a hurdle you can't overcome, however clever your legal arguments are. 
It is politically undesirable. It is immoral in our interpersonal, interracial relations. For anyone who is serious about bridging our past racial divisions, to want to cling on to this kind of symbol. It is right up there with going to court in Germany to really fight for your entitlement as a matter of free speech to be able to use symbols of hatred about Nazism. It is right up there with lobbying parliaments in Western Europe to enact legislation that makes it no longer an offence to deny the Holocaust. The question is, why do you want that? Free speech rights do not exist in a vacuum. They exist in society. And what you do with the content of your speech and how you perform the speech impacts society. And therefore, a social analysis of your rights is very important. You cannot, like Opperman did on behalf of AfriForum, argue like a high school schoolboy that does narrow legalistic analyses without any regard for the real harm that flows from the conclusions that you are arguing for. And there is real harm here. There is real harm here. The hoisting of the flag, the parading of the flag, constitutes in and of itself an expression of and a promotion of white supremacy. What other interpretation is there of a casual display of this kind of flag by white farmers on a Monday morning, even if they are unhappy about, let's say, crime in the countryside. The use of that particular symbol is unambiguously an expression of white supremacy. And for me, I just cannot get over the problematic, non-legal position that every forum finds itself in. It's unfortunate that we treat this as a legal debate because by the time it becomes a news item, the lawyers are at each other's throats and then the reporting on the matter from the media is through the legal lens and we all then defer to the legal journalists, the very few that are still around, and we get a couple of attorneys, because the, those at the bar are more shy about public forays into commenting on law, which I think is a bad tradition, but that's another point. And yet, you know, attorneys who are trained in law to give a legalistic perspective, and, and that's okay, and I'll get to the law in a second. But fundamentally, we need to have a moral discussion and a political discussion about what the hell goes on in our country in 2022 when a bunch of white South Africans are very determined to cling on to some sort of imagined right to be able to perpetuate memory of an assault on black dignity. And that, for me, is the worst aspect of every forum's case, is that it's immoral and that it's part of a political project that defines itself outside of any rainbow nation myth-making. I suppose, in a sense... I'm grateful for their honesty because they are clearly telling us that they are thoroughly racist, anti-black, and that they're not going to pussyfoot around like some English liberals might and pretend to be part of some sort of 
construction of a nascent democratic society in which we love each other and see inner beauty and not skin color. So at least they're honest about it, but I don't want their honesty. I want anti-racism. And this kind of symbolism militates against a project of getting rid of anti-black racism in society. Now let me get on to the legal aspects. You know, the legal aspects for me, I, I have to admit, and I, I don't want to go there because I hate unintentionally propping up the racism of every forum. I just find Tembeka Nukatobi so persuasive, you know, is an acquaintance of mine, someone that I met through a mutual friend of ours who is, a, who is another excellent lawyer. And, um, and I just think he's a fantastic, fantastic tactician when it comes to selecting arguments, particularly when it comes to making oral arguments. I mean, you know, the heads of arguments were well written, but he is so good at knowing how to read the mood in the court in the country. Some of the arguments that he presented, I thought, bordered on being political rather than legal. But even if you were a judge, listening and thinking to yourself, playing devil's advocate, yeah, this argument about reconciliation is persuasive, but it's not wholly legal. Being aware of the fact that this dude in front of you is drawing you into political Obertodicter, as much as he is making legal argument, is not going to stop you from being a victim of his oratorical power. So it was a very powerful performance. But I think if you are clinical about it, or let me speak for myself, every forum made the mistake of running many weak legal arguments. And so there are many of their arguments that are just easy to dismiss. And that made it kind of easy, I thought, for the Human Rights Commission and for the Nelson Mandela Foundation to rebut them, as you would in Oppenheimer's high school debate forum. And I'll give you a couple of examples of those. For example, and I promise you, I had flashbacks to coaching high school kids. These arguments are that lame. Well, like, if you ban it, you're going to drive it underground. You're going to drive the hatred underground. I mean, it honestly, phone up any high school debating teacher or university student working with kids. They, they're going to fall asleep if they had to listen to Oppenheimer. Those, this is like, he, he sounds like a kid who hasn't gotten over a provincial debating tournament in high school and still remembers some of the arguments because he obviously wished he had made them better than he had. And now finally he has a chance on national TV late in life, not to get that high school debating trophy, but to make the same arguments and see whether he can win it for every forum. The problem is that um, Tembeka is a natural debater and he will deconstruct the weaknesses very quickly. His response to that argument on the papers, but also oratorically, is very simple. So what? Racism must be underground. Where else must it be? I have to say, I laughed my moods off when I read that, and again when I heard him say it, in court. Because it's true. There are some arguments that sound very clever the first time you make them, like the slippery slope. Like, what next? What if someone says they don't like the SACP flag? What if they say they don't like the Rainbow Nation flag? What if they say this triggers them? 
And you know, those arguments are prima facie half decent until you think about them for more than like 30 seconds. In the lower court, the equality court, it was very clear that other than for artistic, academic, and bona fide journalistic purposes, when the flag might make an appearance in discourse, the only interpretation of its meaning is supremacy, white supremacy. And if someone else wants to come along and say something similar about the only way in which you can interpret, let's say, I don't know, symbolism belonging to the South African Communist Party, then they would have to make an argument for it. You can't simply cut and paste or assert the slippery slope without showing very carefully why the legal reasoning in the lower court applies identically to each one of these imagined future cases that you have in mind. And quite frankly, I think that is absolutely spot on. And so I want to give you other examples because not all of you are into law. But every single one of the legal arguments had that kind of weakness in it where on the face of it, you know, you might bite your nose and go, oh, flip, I think you might have a point. And then you read the heads of argument, you listen to Tim Becker, and, and I think they do, they do a pretty good job. But here's, here's my problem, though, right? And the reason why, although I think the Nelson Mandela Foundation is on a good wicket, why there are some things here that I think we, we should all think through. I don't know. I mean, firstly, Tembeka cherry-picked the worst parts of Mark's arguments, and Mark did the kitchen sink approach, where he used like 2,000 arguments, and 99% of them were poor. But for example, what happens if a black radical organization organizes a march, and funny enough, a mate of mine, just as I was thinking about it, showed me footage of when he did it as a student, when he was part of an organization. Take an organization such as Andile, um, you could imagine them having placards with the apartheid flag on, marching to the union buildings and saying to the ANC, this flag is the country that I live in because of your ineptitude since 94. You are no different to Fervurt. Let me tell you that. One black person to another black person. Then the question becomes, in that context, what is the interpretation of the use of the flag? Is it as a symbol of hate? Is it political speech that is a bona fide engagement with the government of the day? Whatever's going on there, it's not in the same category as a white racist casually waving it at the rugby. How should the law deal with that? And more importantly, the SCA. Now you see at this point, Tembeka fudges it in, in, his, in his papers by saying, as if it's obvious, posing a rhetorical question, why can't you have the right to assemble without taking a flag, without, without a flag? The right to demonstrate can be preserved without, without implicating flags, something to that effect. But he, he doesn't say anything more. And I was hoping that a judge would engage him on this, but I, 
I couldn't hear every question the judge asked because of the quality of the, the streaming because the question I would have posed him if I was playing judge is, say, Advocate Mukatobi, what would you say about a protest in which banners are used and this flag was used to critique the South African government of the day by a black-led, pro-black organization. And I don't know where the answer would go. I haven't thought it through. I'm just raising the question. And Mark raises that in his papers, and it gets lost in the milieu of the responses because Tembeka rhetorically is so good at focusing on the obvious big questions, the big weaknesses, and he hopes to win the case on the most important nexus questions, which is, as far as he's concerned, can freedom of expression be curtailed to preserve the dignity of black people, which dignity is undermined every time the flag is gratuitously waved? And that sounds wonderful. The hard question is, what will happen in a case where the flag is being waved, not for academic purposes, not for journalistic purposes, not for artistic purposes, but for political purposes, by black people and not as a symbol of hate, but as bona fide discourse between black people about the state of the nation right now? I suppose one possible answer, which is, again, how Tembeka tried to deal with another minor argument from Mark, when Mark said, we can't have the equivalent of pre-publication censorship. What the Nelson Mandela Foundation want is for you to say that all future cases involving the flag are bad. The most they should have asked for and didn't, bad, bad foundation, is to say that in this particular case, it should not have been waived. But they're asking for too much. That was one of their arguments. And Tembeka, again, being a good orator, I don't know how persuasive his response will be deemed, but it sounded good. And he basically said, no, that's not true. This is a concrete case. It's not an abstract case. And so he might also say, I don't know what will happen if Andil and Kwitama were to wave the flag. That's to be decided in the future. I'm just concerned with this case and the facts of this case. I think you might be able to say that. But to the extent that you and I need to think about these things beyond the lawyers, I think that's worth thinking about politically and ethically and put the law aside. If we agree it's a symbol of hate, is, it, is there no context in which you can imagine it being used? And I think the interesting case to think through is a case where a black person uses it as part of black radical critique of a black-led government, for example. So I do think there's complexity there. But where does it leave me overall? I haven't changed my position. I don't like narrowing speech. But the older I get, the more I realize that I need to take harm and violence more seriously in terms of what that means in particular cases when limitations on free speech are being debated. 
We can't be excited to trot out John Stuart Mill to articulate the general value of free speech and then be lazy about describing the nature of harm in a particular case when someone says, I agree with you that free speech matters at the general level, but here's why in this case, I think that my right to dignity should override free speech because dignity is more foundational than free speech. And that for me is the nub of the issue. And so ultimately, I am a little bit worried about the scope of the Nelson Mandela Foundation's case. And I hope that if they win the case, the SEA will be very clear that this is not an abstract case. It doesn't set a precedent for all contexts, but that it applies most clearly to the original set of facts that gave rise to this case. But here are guidelines for how these matters might be handled within the judicial system whenever such a case were to arise in the future. I hope that will be their paradigm that they use in how they approach this. And then lastly, you and I don't have to behave like lawyers. We can ask, is it politically, is it morally acceptable for anyone to be so desperate to want to cling onto a symbol of hatred, a symbol of white supremacy, a symbol of a crime against humanity, and what does it say about the person who so desires to be able to do that?